If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. The constant looming question on everyone's mind who's an executive director, a development director, a board chair is this. How do we get money? There are tons of tips and advice out there, lots of blogs, lots of podcasts, but something that I don't usually run across in these blogs and these podcasts of like the top 10 fundraising strategies is the lesson to just use your budget. So let's cue today's guest, Sherry Kwam Taylor, who focuses on helping nonprofits fundraise through individual donations. Not only does she help her clients become super comfortable with the dreaded ask, but she also helps them create a needs-based budget that they can use when making solicitations. And it's this needs-based budget and how it can help you fundraise that we're going to be discussing with Sherry today. So please join me in welcoming Sherry to the podcast. Hey, Sherry, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Dolph, how are you today? Gosh, I'm having a great day. Are you? Yes, so far so good. Nice. No complaints. Nice. Now, can you help us understand what a needs-based budget is? But I'm going to ask that you do it using a real-life story. Yes. So I have a little bit of a trick question I ask everybody when either I have a first conversation with them or I start working with them. And here's the question. I'm giving you the scoop today of, of my secret question. And it really is, what do you need to raise this year? And people will say, is that, you mean my budget? Sure. Yeah, let's start there. I'll tell you this story about my client, Sandy. She said the same thing. So typically how people respond to that question is, well, last year we raised 900,000. So we'd love to do 950, right? Like in essence, a little, our budget is a little bit more than last year, right? That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, what do you need? And so, especially here with Sandy, and she has a nice round number, so I can use her as an example. You know, she came to me and said, there was something you said about being confident when sitting down and asking donors for money. 
And I said, well, tell me about that. And she said, well, I'm just not exactly sure what that looks like when I sit down with the donor. What do I ask them? What do I share with them? What if they ask me these scary questions? And so we talked a little bit about what her budget was. And and really, I led her to what she needs to be raising toward. And so, Dolph, I am a strong believer that your budget, that number that a board approves, and the need, the number you should be raising toward, are two totally different things. And so when my client, Sandy, really understood that, setting a budget based on, well, just a little bit more than last year actually was keeping her from growing. But when she put a real needs-based budget in place, meaning all those things you're a little afraid about putting in the budget, or maybe you just, well, we can't do that, can we? Put it in the budget and see the number. And then also, do you have a reserve? Put that as a line item as well. Because here's the game changer, and here's here's how Sandy used this to grow her organization and ultimately position her really well right now uh, in early 2020, was that when you can sit down with an individual donor and they say, so what do you need, right? What do you need? It's that donor. Hearing them say, or hearing the the leader say, well, you know, we, we made 500K last year, and so we, we hope to do 550, versus, thank you so much for asking me that. We have a, a $600,000 need this year. Could I share with you what that looks like? That is a game changer when you're when you're sitting down at the solicitation table. And so specifically with Sandy, she learned how to share what the organization's need was as opposed to that squeak by budget, right? And so for her, she took my 90-day program in, in 2019 and we we applied that to her annual gala. And so it was a small, I used to for gala, it was a small event, uh, you know, only ever brought in about $75,000, but a couple hundred people were coming. Challenge was she knew people were coming and not giving their best gift. And I asked her, do they understand what you need? Right? So long story short is she was able to move those donors who were event donors into annual fund donors by bringing those meetings and those uh, pre-solicitations out in front of the event and actually share with them what her need was. And they, their minds were blown. They had no idea what the organization needed. And so she tripled her revenue at that event and she had just as much money going into the event as she had ever raised. All because she learned how to share what the organization needed versus that squeak by budget that so often we we tend to do. So I want us to unpack that. But before we do, I noticed that you and I are really similar in this respect. And I say this to clients all the time. Although me, I say this typically around strategic planning, where when I'm talking to a prospective client and I say, if what you want is a 5% strategic plan, i.e. we're going to be 5% better next year and do 5% more the year after that, I am not your person. <laughs> because... Because I don't want to be working with organizations that are only getting 5% better or doing 5% more year after year after year. But also, it's interesting, I, I was recently working with an organization around strategic planning. And um, in putting together their, their multi-year, you know, three, four-year budget projections, I noticed that staff in the organization were typically making fifteen dollars to $20,000 less than, 
they would be at other organizations. And so I, I raised that as an issue. And I was like, you know, we should really include sizable, you know, $7,500, $8,000, $10,000 salary increases in years two and three for your staff. And I got this pushback a little bit of, well, how are we ever going to do that? It's like, well, if you don't put it in there, you're never going to figure out how to do it. You nailed it. You nailed it. And so I am a huge believer in creating a real budget. And I should also add, I'm not just talking expense, but if you don't, perfect example, Dolph, if you do not put those salaries in, that's what you need. You want to keep those people. They're doing a great job. If you do not put that in the budget and you do not know the real number you need to be raising toward, how would you put together a development plan to actually hit that number then? Right. And so I totally agree with you. I ran the numbers last year of all my clients in 2019. This is a wild statistic. I was actually a little surprised by it too. 55% of the leaders in the nonprofits who came to me were not taking their full uh, board approved salaries. 55% were not taking their full salary. 55%. And, and I just have to reflect last year, the economy was booming. It was booming. If that's what you're doing in a great economy, what are you going to do in this economy? 100%. So like I hear you when it's like, oh, but wait, we can't put that in the budget. We're not bringing that in. What I'm saying is your budget is your plan. It directs your activities and it directs the time you're putting into both income and expenses every single month. So you've got to get it on paper and in the budget if you're going to raise that number. So things like... I'll always ask this question, what are you not putting in your budget that actually might be keeping you from growing? And here we go back to the age old, uh, got to spend money to make money. You know, I hate that too for my own business. I'm like, yep, I got to invest in that. You have to invest in your organization to grow your programs, grow your admin and your fundraising. And so oftentimes things like, is there strong technology integrated into what you're doing so that it's easy? for a donor to give. Did you design your brand and and logo and collateral 15 years ago when a volunteer did it? And now it's not relevant. Um, Are there financial processes where, gosh, we've been having a volunteer do that for years and maybe we do need to pay somebody to do it. So all of these things feel like that dreaded, dun, 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 overhead word. But to be honest, these are the types of things organizations must invest in to grow and then bring more money in that then you can grow your programs with, right? It's a game changer. It really is. But here's the piece I want us to unpack. Okay. So you said, okay, you've got to include it in the budget. You and I are on the same page on that. If you you don't know you need it, you can't explain to a donor or a funder, if it's a foundation, why you need to increase everybody's salary by $10,000 each year for the next two years. You can't explain it. But What your system does is you help people figure out how to communicate and explain that to donors and funders. Let's unpack that. So good. So I have this concept of, I want to equip every executive director, sometimes development director, how to have these investment level conversations. So for context, uh, most of my work is surrounded in, in the area of let's help your top 30 donors really be yielding about 50 to 75% of your revenue. And if I have my way, I want those also to be single source decision makers. I want them to be individuals or private family foundations or owners of private businesses so that we have access to those people. Like we can call them up, but we can get a decision. 
And so when we think about focusing on those types of relationships and asks, if you will, those are investment level conversations. That is you sitting down business person to business person and talking through what your plans are. What are you doing this year so that you can do this year? Because in five years, we're going to be doing this. You know, what do you do? Why are you the experts? And, and above all, why should this person give to you? And so many times I find a lot of people who come to me are really avoiding the ask or that scary, you know, thought of sitting down with somebody because they don't truly know what that A, investment level conversation looks like, but B, do they really want to know that? Do they want to, do they want me to sit down and have a conversation about how I'm going to scale the organization? Yes is the answer. Like if this is somebody who can literally write you a $25,000 check, I want you to show them that that gift was, was worthy of them investing and what you're going to do with the funds and to really know how you're going to use it. And I want you to have a business person to business person conversation about that investment they're making. And it's funny, I've often viewed that when I've been an executive director or development director, I've often viewed that as free consulting. So, you know, so if I sit down with someone who has built a business that today has $25 million a year of revenue, and I'm saying, hey, what do you think about X, Y, Z? They're going to give me their honest opinion. And I know it's going to be their honest opinion because the other thing that often happens for those of us that are EDs is, you know, a lot of people don't tell us the truth. A lot of people tell us what they think we want to hear. But the person that built a $25 million a year business who might give you $25,000 is going to tell you the truth. Yes, yes. I always say, if we think of that business person who, exactly what you just said, they've scaled a $25 million business, they probably have sat and asked for investments themselves, right? They're leaders in their community. They are, they're running teams. They're scaling. They're taking risks. Listen to what they value about the conversation. I do really feel like they do value having that, you know, kind of peer-to-peer relationship with you. If they're, if they're really digging into the numbers, don't be afraid by that. That's what they value. They want to know how you're going to scale it. They want to know how you're funded. Um, they want to know really what you need. And so be open to that. It's really not as scary as, as most people think. Once you have the right tools in hand, you know your numbers. And to be honest, the confidence that a needs-based budget brings you is a game changer. So how do executive directors, or even if you're a board member that's helping with the solicitation, how do you project that confidence in your data-based, needs-based budget? Yeah. So there's always this moment of, and I usually if people see me, I'm always like pivoting my body. I'm like, we have to stop being reactive and actually almost have this mindset shift to this is what we need and reactively putting a plan in place and to to pivot and go in that direction. And so it's a big mindset thing, Dolph. I feel that I see leaders make, I mean, especially even Sandy in this example I'm giving, of her almost saying, can I do that? Like, I can I can create a budget that is not squeaked by? Like, I can like point in that direction? Absolutely. And so it's, it's a mindset, and this is what I've been talking about tons lately, it's a mindset and also saying, I have to do things differently to grow my organization and to really push against confidently some of those misconceptions that that we in the sector really face of, 
um, don't spend too much money on this because it should all go to programs or be careful. Don't donors don't want to fund your percentages if it's, you know, too high in this area or too low in this area. So I find that the confidence comes when you have a plan in place. If you can sit down and tell somebody this year, yes, I am spending 15% on fundraising because guess what? Here's my plan. I'll share it with you. Within two years, we're going to be able to put an extra million dollars into programs, right? Well, that's a win-win. So that makes sense. You're investing in your organization. You're spending money to make more money. That, thus, that going back into programs. So we go back to the numbers. If you do not know your numbers, you will not be confident. So that starts with a budget and it starts with a strategic plan to really understand where we're headed and helping the donor see how they fit into it. So, Jerry, part of what I love about this is I'm also thinking that if I know I need to raise another half million dollars this year and then an additional half million dollars next year for that million dollars in two years, I'm probably going to also prioritize my time differently. So I'm not going to spend nearly so much time cultivating the prospect that I think might give $2,500 and spend a lot more time cultivating the prospects that I think might give 100000 Here's what I see being the biggest challenge to that. Okay, great. So we've got our needs-based budget. You're right. I do need to be raising $2 million to $2 million or $15 million. It really doesn't matter the scale. Uh, you know, I've used the same methodology for startups bringing in $50,000 and $15 million organizations. Here's the game changer, what you just said, Dolph. Okay, so now we know how much we need. Now let's put the same, if not more, time into the top half of that budget, the income. Now, how are we going to hit $1 million? Let's use a round number today. How are we going to hit a million dollars? It's not like, well, we have we have 500K pledge, so we'll kind of see how that goes, right? I want a robust income plan per segment, not per event appeal campaign, per donor segment, per month. And just, I'm going to stop you there real quick, just so we're all on the same page. When you say per donor segment, what I picture is that pyramid. And so, okay, we need a plan on who's in the top of the pyramid and who are the three people of the second tier and the five people in the third tier, so on and so forth. Just, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. You nailed it. You nailed it. And so I want individuals. I want our major level gifts at a certain tier, our mid-level, our peer-to-peer, our one-time. Here's why I do that. I want to see those few lines where, A, I need to be putting the majority of my time. So oftentimes our fundraising plans are not aligned from an ROI perspective with the line items on our budget that bring in the most money. And so if I want my top 30 donors bringing in between 50 and 75% of my revenue, well, but if I'm putting all my time into cultivation events or peer-to-peer campaigns or my boards, you know, spending all their time finding auction items and that kind of stuff, that is not an aligned budget. That is not helping anybody on the team say, these three line items are our priority because they can yield 75% of our revenue. Therefore, we must, board and staff, spend 75% of our fundraising time on those three lines. And game changer, very few people are doing this. I want you to chart that out month by month. Here's what we are literally planning on bringing in every month. Because I have a lot of people come to me, Dolph Brown, 
October, saying, Hmm, October, you say? I'm a little like, uh, can we, have, we have November, December, I'm behind. What should I do? Can you help me? You know, and of course I want to, you know, yes, I want to help you. But to be honest, it's what did you do in January and March and, you know, June and August and October that then sets you up for success if that's when you were asking that donor. And if we aren't looking at our income plan month to month, the, the year gets away from you because usually nonprofit leaders are doing a lot of things, wearing a lot of hats. The year gets away from you. And so you can't then drive and kind of manage up your board. You don't manage down your development staff. Um, if you do not understand your time and how that needs to be allocated to each fundraising initiative all year long. And so let me get your take on this, because I agree with you 100% that you've got to know that monthly, okay, here's what we're going to do and here's what our goals are. But I've actually said to some executive directors, like folks that I've done coaching with, that it can be as simple as like just one page where you list each month and here are your three fundraising goals for that month. Um, and you just do that 12 times. Like, okay, you know, and they're not the same goal every month, but then you can kind of go through when May is done and it's June, you can say, all right, did we achieve our May goals? Yeah, keep it practical. You know, it was funny. One person said to me one time, I, I hope I'm not offending you, but your approach is kind of practical with fundraising. And I was like, that <laughs> is kind of funny. But B, thank you, because that is the best compliment anyone's ever given me, because guess what? We can all do practical. Like, let's not design the moon if we don't need to go to the moon. So I totally agree with you, Dolph. Create a plan that works for you. Right. Even in my 90 day program, I have like, you know, things people can download, tools they can use. And I'll say, use it, but or download it, you know, put your data into it and use it as a tool. If you if it works for you, if it ties to the way you work, there, there's some real simplicity about uh, really looking at where your income come should come in. Right. And then the time and energy and resources you're dedicating to it. And if your budget is not aligned, both on the expense side and income side, in accordance to that, you you will never hit your number. And so time is a huge, huge part of this. And so I want anybody who hears me talk on any on any podcast or anything, I want the leader to hear me say, your time is the most valuable asset to the organization. So any minute you are spending fundraising has to be yielding the size gifts you're going to feel on the bottom line. It has to. So... Something I want to drill down on, I get it, time is the most critical asset that any chief executive or development director has got. And I've also heard you say that you want 30 donors that are providing 65 to 75% of your total income from philanthropy. Yep. So if I'm a chief executive, how much time should I be spending on each of those 30 donors? Yeah, so here's my rule of thumb, Dolph. I'll always say that those top 10 donors, you typically are going to want to be meeting with them or Zoom these days about three to four times a year. Now, this is rule of thumb. You know, we all have the donor who's like, I don't need to meet with you. Like, can you just call me and tell me what you need? And we have the one that like we've met with 10 times, right? Like, you know, so I'm going to land right in the middle here. So I oftentimes will say, well, that top 10, let's at least budget your time for three to four times in person. And then there's going to be the keeping it warm interactions as well. And then for kind of that that 10 to 30, um, about two to three times a year is, is my rule of thumb. 
So I will tell you when I when I share that with um, with a lot of the students in in my program, it is a bit of a deer in the headlight. Like, oh my gosh, you want me to do what? Like, you want me to like how would I even fit that in? And so that's not a fair conversation if I say add this to your plate, right? We have to also look at the the activities you're doing that are not yielding a great ROI. We have to take something off your plate that maybe was great and got you to this point and you did nothing wrong. You know, it was a great little event. It was a great appeal or, you know, everybody's doing Giving Tuesday, so we should do it. You know what? If it's if it's taking your time and it's not yielding a, a great return, it might be time to cut the cord on that so that you can then start other activities that do bring in these top 30 gifts. Absolutely. And in economics, you know, we call that opportunity cost. And it's really asking yourself, if I don't spend time on this bake sale, what is the best use of my time? Mm-hmm. I think even from the board perspective, like I love um, really helping the board use that income plan also to align the the tasks that they're doing. And so oftentimes there's just a a teaching moment that has to exist of okay, so if we want if we want seventy five percent of our revenue coming in from three, these three line items, these are this is what it looks like for you as a board member to support those line items. And so oftentimes I see that I might just default down to, oh yeah, I can help find auction items for the event or yeah, I can bring a foursome to that outing. Okay, that's fine. But we also have to help them see what are the activities that actually help you find donors that could fall in those three categories or and and frankly cultivate them and secure them. And so I always remind executive directors that your board, despite them also being professionals and, you know, probably leaders in the community and entrepreneurs themselves, they might not totally know how to cultivate a donor or lead a donor or set you up for the ask. And so you oftentimes have to really manage up and and show them where their time should be spent and show them how it's done. And I also have to say, give them opportunities to engage the people they know, whether those are introductory events or, hey, can you bring this person in for a tour, whatever it looks like, but give them the opportunities to do it. Most board members don't spend their time thinking about this the way we spend our time thinking about it. So important. I'll also tell you the other nugget I have that that I always tell people, and it's a little like a, okay, I guess that makes sense. But oftentimes when I do have somebody come to me or raise their hand and say, uh, my board, I can't get my board to fundraise. I, you know, they say they don't know how to do it or they don't know anybody in their network. I often find that it might be because there's there's something that needs to be demystified from the process, right? Maybe they don't totally understand what's going on. So I'll actually flip that on the executive director or the development director and say, here's what your first step is. I want you, like we've been learning to create great donor experiences for your top 30 donors, to lead them to an ask, you know, that's really deeply rooted in what that donor values. I want you to also do that for every one of your board members. I want you to create a great donor experience, create a great path so that you can serve them and you can solicit them and show them how it's done. Because oftentimes that neighbor is like, or excuse me, your board member is like, I kind of want to introduce you to my neighbor. Well, what are you going to say to him? Are you just going to ask him for money? Like, is, are, you, are you going to be that used car salesman? No, we're not. We're going to create a wonderful experience 
you know, deeply rooted in, in hopefully what they value from the organization and, and what an investment would look like and lead them through that in a really warm and wonderful way. So my biggest advice, if you're if you don't have a board that's really integrated or you know helping with this type of process would be show them how it's done and serve them deeply. Because usually they're like, that was actually great. Like that was really warm. Wow. The, the solicitation wasn't scary. It helps them understand the process and for them to see how, where they could fit into the process. One of the things you mentioned is uh, a lot of board members, and, and I see this across the board, even with some high-powered boards, where board members will say, oh, well, I know people with money or I know people with resources, but I really don't know people that are as committed to this cause as I am. And uh, one of the tools that I've used with organizations is essentially I say, okay, you know, let's go out and let's find the, don- the major donor list of organizations in the same space that you're in. And let's compile all those lists and let's send them to your board and ask your board members, who do they know? And then they're often shocked. Oh, my gosh, I know Jack. And Jack gives this organization $25,000 a year. And I know Jane. And Jane gives this organization $5,000 a year. And suddenly they realize, oh, I do know people that are really passionate and committed to a similar organization. And we need to talk to them about ours. So good. I, and I, yeah, you're right. Like that happens so often, but until you you do that process yourself, you're like, oh, I guess that did work. The other like just concept that I love talking about is um, it's almost like a, a freedom for the board or for the staff. Here's the thing. If you think somebody would be really interested in the mission and they might have the capacity to give, you don't have to carry the pressure of deciding if that donor can give or not or if this is a bad year for them to give. Your job is to present the opportunity for them to invest in a wonderful mission. And so, so often I see money left on the table when we do things like, well, yeah, let's go talk to my business partner, but I I know she gives $20,000 to that organization, but let's just ask her for 10 because I, I don't want to offend her. Or I don't know that person switched jobs, so... Let's just maybe if let's just ask for what, you know, we got last year from them. We don't have to carry that pressure. You know, because there's so much money left on the table when we almost kind of shrink down and then don't actually present the need of the organization uh, and give that donor the opportunity to to decide if he or she wants to invest in the organization. So like don't settle and don't don't find yourself making the decision for the donor before you even get in the meeting. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Don't say no for the donor. Yeah. Yes. That's a great way to say it. Don't say no for the donor. And I also have to say, and you know, and this course is really coaching for whoever's doing the ask. Don't ask it in such a way that you're saying no for the donor. Yes. Don't start with apologizing. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Don't start with going, I know this is a lot of money and I know you're already very generous, but would you consider a gift of $25,000? When you start out that way, you're saying, will you please give me a lot less than $25,000? Yes. You're so right. And I see it so often. And um, you know, I think it's kind of in general, there's with like where we started with this, like the creating the budget or how we're asking or um, how we're thanking. So we have to be careful of these, you know, kind of taking those nonprofit misconceptions and putting them into our own behaviors when we're talking to donors, when we're thanking donors, when we're soliciting donors, um, you know, to really check ourselves and to lead with here's the need our organization has and our organization and our mission and the people we're serving, their lives are worthy and our mission is worthy of being supported no matter what. 
So you get to offer, you get to share the need of the organization and you don't have to carry the weight, um, the weights that we all feel like we have to carry in these asks. And so I also find that that mindset, Dolph, is, is, a, is a game changer in confidence because if that donor gives or not, doesn't matter. You got to go to the next because you still have the same need. Absolutely. So I've got to share a real life personal story from my own life. Now, my husband and I, we are low level major donors to a number of organizations. When I say low level, a thousand, two thousand, twenty five hundred dollars a year. So low level major donors. There is one organization. I'm I'm going to be really coded about how I say this now. There is one organization where the head of that organization and their development director have done a great job of cultivating me. I have expressed my strong support for the organization. I like I often share social media posts that they have. I am a strong, strong supporter of this organization. And admittedly, I typically give about $500 or so a year to this organization. So what I don't think of as, as even close to a major donor level. Here's what I'm baffled by. Over the last three years, we have gone to lunch probably nine or 10 times. And by the way, I'm always really clear that I pick it up. I'm always clear. I'm like, I'm picking it up. My, my pet peeve are the donors that just sit there and let me pick up the check. I'm like, really? Come on. Really? So I, I get it. I, but anyways, I always pick it up. And every time they invite me to lunch, I, I think, okay, this is going to be the ask. We're three years in. And maybe I'm just being a sadist, but I'm waiting for them to ask. Right. We're three years in, Sherry. It's wild. I got to tell you, the number of people who start, who I start working with, who have never solicited, other than, well, we send mailers and at an event, I, you know, there's an opportunity to give, to raise a paddle in essence. The number of, I guess I'll just say executive directors and honestly, sometimes development directors who are not asking and they simply don't know how to do it or, you know, everything we've talked about today, right? Um, that number is astounding. But I will tell you, I, I have a client who, um, we knew this donor was giving very large gifts, six-figure gifts, you know, to a, a camp, you know, that um, he was a part of. And the largest gift he had ever made to my, my client's organization was $12,000. But my client wasn't asking. It was very reactionary. It was just like, oh, here's 5K, here's 5K, here's 2K. And so once he got kind of the tools in place and the confidence and, you know, had a few things in hand, like a gift chart and just to help guide the conversation. Um, I find that those types of things are really helpful. And I, once in a while, Dolph, I get to sit in solicitations. If um, sometimes my clients want me to sit in and coach them and they're, if they're warm with their client and can tell them why I'm here just to, to help, I'm helping grow the organization. I sat in this one I just posted about this on LinkedIn not that long ago. And this donor literally said, came out of his mouth, I had no idea you needed this much money because you've never asked me. Mm -hmm. And that gift went from 12000 to over $100,000 in that year because he wasn't asking. Mm. Yeah. So I'll say to executive directors, if you're not asking – if this this types of these types of things we're talking about today make you feel uncomfortable, um, or you're kind of doing it, but you do wonder if you're leaving money on the table, you have to invest in yourself to learn how to do this and how to lead your donors to the point where they say yes. And I'm going to tell you, it's really not as scary 
as you think. And if you think you're a bad fundraiser, I can guarantee you you're not. Once you learn to have those conversations and actually see the process and make it your own, like that's super important here, right? Um, You will see results quickly because donors have not understood what you've needed. So you almost like have to see yourself as a translator between, okay, there's that budget over there and here's what we need. And then there's the donors. And so you have to make sure you are explaining what the need is so the donor knows how to fit in. Otherwise, they're just going to decide you need a thousand dollar check when you really need a 10 or a 20. Right. Right. And I don't know if you preach this or not, but part of part of this conversation has, has reminded me of this. I actually have said this to a development director that I'm coaching. I said, I, well, first I asked the person if she's a major donor, donor at a thousand or twenty five hundred dollar level to any organization. She's like, no, I'm not. And I happen to know what the person makes. And I was like, you could afford to be a twenty five hundred dollar donor somewhere. You need to go become a twenty five hundred dollar donor somewhere. The reason I preach that is until you think of yourself as a major donor, you don't think about it through the eyes of the major donor. And you don't think, oh, like, for example, the way I, you know, the way I just did where I'm like, this organization spent three years cultivating me and is yet to ask, you you know, so as, but as a major donor, you start to be like, oh, I just made a $2,500 gift and no one sent me a thank you letter for three months. That was really poor form and no one followed. But, but you see what I'm saying? Like, to me, that's just an important step. If you're going to ask, you know, you have to be for yourself, However, you think of major donor, $25,000 might be too much for you. $2,500 may not be. Totally great. I love that. I love that. I will tell you when I am coaching people or they're in my program, I I am kind of watching a few things and, and it does come up sometimes that I'm like, you're not giving anywhere where it hurts a little bit. And that would actually be good. That would be good. You know, whether it's your own organization or not, but I totally see what you're saying. There's a different, once you've done it yourself. Um, it's kind of like almost with my own business. You know, I coach nonprofits how to grow. And, and but then when I, I hired a coach for, for myself so I could be a better leader and grow my own business. And I was like, whoo, that's a big check. That kind of stung. Like, I'm going to really get the most out of this. I got to tell you, it was a game changer in how I like coached my own clients because It just felt different when I had also said, I need to learn something new. I'm going to financially invest in learning this because I do believe that this will help me grow my business. That was a game changer. I had no idea it was going to be of how that really helps me communicate almost to my clients to say, great job investing in yourself. Now let's roll up our sleeves and do this together. Um, I think it just, it helped me be a better coach. So that's great advice um, that you're giving to that to that client of yours. I love that. And this leads us to an off-the-map question that's not really an off-the-map question. Sure. So you've hired a coach. You are a coach. What should people look for when hiring a coach? That's great. So I, I think there is something just with generally with the click, right? Like you, you want to make sure like we can have honest conversations with each other. You know what I look for? is someone who has been in my shoes, someone who has been stuck before and figured out the path and the way out. And I think that's who I look for. The other thing is, you know, I left my corporate career decade plus ago, joined a nonprofit that was small and struggling. It had plateaued. 
and got in with a, a real fresh and beginner's mindset and said, what? that's kind of a crazy misconception. Well, that's kind of a crazy one too. I'm not doing that. I'm going to do this. And so I say that because I think a lot of my clients like that I've been in their shoes and I had to get in and figure it out. And like, how do you truly scale a nonprofit's funding? Uh, and we, we tripled that organization's revenue in 18 months. Pushing against a lot of these nonprofit misconceptions like don't spend any money, only use volunteers, watch your percentages. Now, don't hear me say those are things you should throw off the window, but there's a time to push them too. And so that beginner's mindset was a game changer for me, and I use it still today, a decade later. And so I think I, I find that people really like that I've been in their shoes and I've struggled with what they've struggled with so that I can say, here's what I did. Here's what I did. And here's what I was really afraid about. But you got this. You can do this. And so I really do feel like there is that deep personal connection. And you don't know that immediately going in. I know that's the risk part. Um, but I think it leads you to a point of vulnerability where you really can do a lot of mindset work and um, along with learning new skills that really can be a game changer. That's awesome, Sherry. Thank you. And thank you so much for sharing that and making yourself a little bit vulnerable as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm so grateful you've been chatting with us today. And listeners, if you are interested in hearing more about needs-based budgeting and how you can grow your own individual donation program, then be sure to check out Sherry's website at qualmtaylor.com. It is full of resources. There you can find out more about Sherry's services, You can find about her 90-day Let's Grow fundraising accelerator. You can also access her blog as well as her free How to Find Major Donors guide. So, dear listeners, if you think you might be interested in working with Sherry, you can sign up for a free audit and strategy call with her to discuss your nonprofit's current funding situation and identify steps to move away from just being dependent on government funds and just to be being dependent on one or two donors and really moving to what Sherry's talked about, which is having 30 or so major donors that are providing 65 or 75% of your philanthropy budget. And of course, at her website, you can also sign up for her email. So Sherry, thank you again for being with us today. Thank you, Dolph. I appreciate the time and the good conversation. So listeners, if you got a little distracted reviewing your own budgets, trying to figure out how you can present those better to donors, then be sure to swing by SuccessfulNonprofits.com where we have this episode's transcript, we have time-stamped highlights, and of course, a link to Sherry's website, QuamTaylor.com. I am gearing up for the next Asked Off episode, so feel free to send me your intractable problems as questions. And in addition to answering your question personally in an email to you, I may also anonymize the question and answer it in a Q&A episode in the coming months. So if you want to hear a sample of an Asked Off episode, go to SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash Asked Off and you can hear a sample. That, dear listeners, is our show for the week. I hope you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. I am not an accountant or attorney, and neither I nor the Goldberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. 
This material has been provided for informational purposes only, is not intended to provide, and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. Always consult a qualified, licensed professional about such matters.